0: While crypto allows the world to get rid of banks, a bank will still very much be necessary for this powerful tech to reach the masses. As we laid out in our previous series, Crypto Powered, we believe companies that build with blockchain at their core will have the best shot at winning the broader consumer finance market. We hope it will be us at Genesis Block, but we aren't the only game in town. So this series explores the entire crypto landscape and tries to answer the question, which crypto company is most likely to become the bank of the future? In our last episode, we offered an in-depth analysis of big crypto exchanges like Coinbase and Binance. Today, we're analyzing non-custodial crypto wallets. These are products where only the user can touch or move funds. Not even the company or developer who built the app can access, control, or stop funds from being moved. These apps allow users to truly become their own bank. Now, we've talked a little bit about this before in our Spreading Crypto series. This class of product is nowhere near the same level of threat as the biggest crypto exchanges. However, this group really understands DeFi and the magic that it can bring. They are heavily engineer-driven and at the bleeding edge of DeFi protocol innovation. So these products are certainly worth discussing. All right, let's dive in. From the Genesis block, coming up through the cloud. From the genesis block. these non-custodial crypto wallets are especially popular among the most hardcore blockchain nerds and crypto cypherpunks Not your keys, not your coins. This meme is endlessly repeated among longtime crypto hodlers. If you're not in complete control of your crypto using non-custodial wallets, then it's not really your crypto. There has always been a close connection between libertarianism and cryptocurrency, and this type of user wants to be in absolute control of their money and become their own bank. In addition to the experienced crypto geek, for some people, these products will mean the difference between life and death. Imagine a refugee family that wants to safely protect their years of hard work, their life savings, as they travel across borders moving from country to country trying to find a new home. Carrying cash could put their safety or money at risk. A few years ago, I spent time in Greece at refugee camps. I know firsthand that this is a real use case. Or imagine a family living under an authoritarian regime, afraid that their corrupt or oppressive government will seize their assets or devalue their savings via hyperinflation. Citizens in these countries cannot risk putting their money in centralized banks or under their mattresses. They must become their own bank. So these are the common use cases and users for non-custodial wallets. So let's do a quick roundup of some of the more popular products already in the market. Let's first look at web and desktop products. The most popular web wallet is MetaMask, and though it doesn't have any specific integration with DeFi protocols yet, it has more than a million users, which is a lot in crypto-land. Web wallets that are more deeply integrated with DeFi include Instadap, Zerion, DeFi Saver, Zapper, and MyCrypto. And I'm an investor in MyCrypto and a big fan of Taylor. For the mass market, mobile will be a much more important form factor, so I don't view these web products as going after the same audience or as much of a threat to Genesis Block at this point. Now let's look at mobile products. The more serious threats to Genesis Block are mobile products that A, are leveraging some of these powerful DeFi protocols, and B, abstracting away all of the blockchain DeFi complexity. While none of these products get close to us on B, The products attempting this are Argent and Dharma and to the extent they can, both are trying to make interacting with blockchain technology as simple as possible. A few of the bigger exchanges have also entered into this mobile non-custodial market. Coinbase has Wallet, and that happened via Cypher browser acquisition, and Binance has Trust Wallet, also via an acquisition. And speaking of acquisitions, MyCrypto acquired Ambo, which is a solid product and has brought MyCrypto into the mobile space as well. Others worth mentioning include Rainbow, a well-designed and built by a small indie dev team, and Zengo, which has a cool feature around keyless security. Their CEO is a friend. There are dozens of other mobile crypto wallets that do very little beyond showing your balances, and they aren't serious threats. And last but not least, let's look at hardware wallets. Holding crypto on your own hardware wallet is widely considered to be best practice from a security standpoint. The most popular hardware wallets are Ledger, Trezor, and KeepKey by our friends at Shapeshift. Ledger Nano X is the only product that has Bluetooth, so it's the only product that can connect to a mobile app. While exciting and innovative, these hardware wallets are not yet integrated with any DeFi protocols. Let's take a look at some of the strengths with these non-custodial products. Number one, regulatory arbitrage. Because these products are non-custodial, they're able to avoid a lot of the regulatory burdens and headaches that centralized custodial products must deal with. For example, around anti-money laundering laws and money transmission laws and know your customer laws. This is a strong practical benefit for a bootstrapped startup or a small engineering team. Though it's unclear how long this advantage lasts as products reach wider audiences and increased scrutiny. Number two, user privacy. Because of the regulatory arbitrage that I just mentioned, users do not need to complete onerous KYC requirements. For example, there's no friction around selfies and government issued IDs and social security numbers. Users can preserve much of their privacy and they don't need to worry about their sensitive information being hacked or compromised or leaked, like what we've seen with BlockFi or Binance and even recently Ledger. Number three, absolute control and custody. This is really one of the great promises of crypto. Users can become their own bank. Users can be in full control of their money, and they don't need to bury it underground or hide it under a mattress. There's no dependence or reliance or trust on any third parties. Only the user herself can access and unlock the money. So these are some of the great strengths of non-custodial wallets. Alright, now let's examine some of the weaknesses. Number one, knowledge and education. Most non-custodial products do not abstract away any of the blockchain complexity. In fact, they often expose more of it because the most loyal users are crypto geeks. Imagine how an average non-crypto normie feels when she starts seeing words like seed phrases, public and private keys, gas limits, transaction fees, blockchain explorers, hex addresses, confirmation times. There is a lot for a user to learn and become educated on. That's friction, the learning curve is too high and it'll always be a major blocker for adoption. And we've talked about this in our spreading crypto series. To reach the masses, we think crypto needs to be more in the background. Now, number two, user experience. It is currently very, 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 very hard to create a smooth and performant user experience in non-custodial wallets. Any interaction that requires a blockchain transaction will feel sluggish and slow. A few years ago, we built a messaging app on Ethereum and presented it at DevCon 3 in Cancun. The technical constraints of blockchain technology were crushing to the user experience. We simply couldn't create the real-time modern messaging experience that users have come to expect from similar apps like Slack or WhatsApp. Until blockchains are closer in speed to web servers, which will be difficult given their decentralized nature, non-custodial wallets will never be able to create the smooth user experience that the masses are used to. Number three, product limitations. Most non-custodial wallets today are based on Ethereum smart contracts, and that means that they're severely limited with the assets that they can support, basically only ERC20 tokens, Ethereum-based assets. Unless through synthetic assets similar to Abra, these wallets cannot support massively popular assets like Bitcoin, XRP, Cardano, Litecoin, EOS, Tezos, Stellar, Cosmos, and countless others. Now, there are exciting projects like TBTC trying to bring Ethereum or Bitcoin to Ethereum, but these experiments are still very early. Ethereum based smart contract wallets are missing a huge part of the crypto asset universe. Number four, technical complexity. While developers are able to avoid a lot of the regulatory complexity, as we mentioned earlier, they are replacing it with increased technical complexity. Now, most non-custodial wallets are entirely dependent on smart contract technology, which is still very experimental and early in development. And we talked a little bit about this in our DeFi episode discussing insurance. Major bugs and major hacks do happen. Even recently, it was discovered that Argent, one of the most popular non-custodial wallets, had a quote, high severity vulnerability. Now, Fortunately, Argent was able to fix it, and they didn't lose any funds for their users. But the tools, the frameworks, the best practices around smart contract technology are still being established. Things can still easily go wrong, and they do. Number five, loss of funds risk. Beyond the technical risks risks mentioned earlier, With non-custodial wallets, it's very easy for users to make mistakes. There is no forgot password functionality. There is no customer support agent that you can ping. There's no company behind it that can make you whole if you make a mistake and lose your money. You are on your own, even just as CZ recently suggested. One wrong move and your money is gone. You lose your private key, there's no way to recover your funds. There are some interesting developments around social recovery. But that's all still very experimental. This just isn't the type of customer support experience people are used to, and it's not a risk that most are willing to take. Number six, integration with fiat and traditional finance. In today's world, it's still very hard to use crypto for daily spending. Now, we previously discussed this in our DeFi episode when we talked about payments. Hopefully, that will all change someday. But in the meantime, if any of these non-custodial products hope to win in the broader consumer finance market, then they will undoubtedly need to integrate with legacy finance. They need on-ramps where fiat can go into crypto, deposit methods, and they need off-ramps where crypto can go back to fiat, withdraw, or spend methods. As much as crypto fanatics hate hearing it, you can't expect people to just jump headfirst into the new world unless there is a smooth transition, unless there is a bridge technology that helps them arrive. And this is why these fiat integrations are so important. Examples might be allowing ACH ACH or wire deposits via Plaid, or launching a debit card program for spending or withdrawing. Now, these fiat integrations are essential if the aim is to become the bank of the future. Doing any of this compliantly will require strong KYC, AML. So to achieve this use case, integrating with traditional finance, all of the strengths that we mentioned earlier are nullified. There are no longer regulatory benefits. There are no longer privacy benefits because users will need to upload their KYC documents, etc. And the third, users are no longer in complete control of their money. One of the great powers of crypto is that we no longer depend on banks. Anyone can store their wealth and have absolute control of their money. And that's made possible with these non-custodial wallets. It's a wonderful thing. I believe that the most knowledgeable and experienced crypto people, including myself, will always be active users of these apps. And as we mentioned earlier, there will be circumstances where these applications will be essential and even life-saving. However, I do not believe this category of of product is a major threat to Genesis Block to becoming the bank of the future. They won't win in the broader consumer finance market, and that's mostly because I don't believe that's their target audience. These applications simply cannot produce the type of product experience that the masses require or want or expect. The weaknesses I've shared today are just too overwhelming. The friction for mass market consumers is just too much. The winning bank will be focused on solving real user problems and meeting user needs, not slowed down by rigid idealism like censorship resistance and absolute decentralization as it is with many non-custodial wallets. The winning bank will be a world-class product that's smooth, performant, and accessible, not sluggish and slow as it is with many non-custodial wallets. The winning bank will be one where blockchain and crypto is mostly invisible to end users. Not front and center as it is with many non-custodial wallets. The winning bank will be one managed and run by professionals who know exactly what they're doing and know how to put your money to work in the best way possible. Not a do-it-yourself bank as it is with non-custodial wallets. So are these non-custodial wallets a threat to Genesis Block in winning the broader consumer finance market? No. But I'm a fan of what they're doing, and I believe as some Genesis Block users level up and get more experience and really start to understand how blockchain works, I think they'll find these apps incredibly valuable. Thanks for tuning in today. Our next episode will continue with this series, Crypto Banking Wars. We'll be looking at a few popular lending and borrowing services like Nexo, BlockFi, and Celsius. They've quickly grown in popularity. Could any of them become the bank of the future? Next episode, we'll find out. So if you don't want to miss it, be sure to subscribe to our social channels. Go to genesisblocks.com/follow to find all those links. And if you're watching this on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. It's right over in that corner where the logo is. Thanks everybody and we'll see you next time.